0: And we're here talking about the worthy walk, that's what chapter 4 really gets into. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 we saw in the first six months of the study is about who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ, what our identity is in Christ, and then chapters 4 through 6 are about how to walk with who we are in Christ, how to manifest who we are in Christ. So the question that Paul's dealing with here in chapter 4 specifically is, how do you walk the worthy walk? What does that look like? And we've seen that that first of all, is determined by or it manifests certain personal characteristics. But then it also says something about the church as a whole. And Paul got into talking about the unity of the body. For me to walk in a way that manifests the truth of who I am necessarily entails that I'm connected with the rest of the body of Christ. We manifest the unity of the body of Christ. And that got into Paul talking about the gifts. The gifts, which is the topic of the passage that we're dealing with here this morning. So it's in your bulletin if you want to read along, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Paul there, we saw last week, is quoting Psalm 68. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That sounds really complicated, but basically what Paul's getting at is... He's saying, just in the same way that David descended against his enemy, the Jephthites, and then ascended up on Mount Zion, so also Christ descended against his enemies down in Hades and then ascended up on high, above all, the whole universe. And it was Christ, Paul concludes by saying, it was Christ who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. Some very important teaching here that I want to get into this morning. Uh, let's pray. Father. Lord, I I thank you for the the worship that we had this morning, Lord, for being present here, for the energy here, for the celebration, Lord. I am so glad, Lord, that we can worship you with all of our body and with all of our mind and with all of our soul and with all that is within us, Lord. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you invite everything that has breath to praise you, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for inhabiting the praises of your people and for being present here, Lord. I sense your presence and I, I, I just appreciate that, Lord. And now, Lord, we ask that you'd apply to the word what you applied to the worship and let it come alive. We know, Lord, that human words and human ideas cannot do the transforming work to make us the, the, the kingdom of God people that you want to make us. You have to do that, Lord, and so we ask, God, energize these words. Make it come alive. Make it, it, Lord, allow it to confront the strongholds in our life that keep us from walking the worthy walk. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Just by way of a little review from last week. Every so often I read in the paper, you probably do too, or I I read it in a book or I hear someone say something like this. Here's an illustration of uh, of what I'm talking about. Uh, About a year ago or so I read an interview that was done with the mother of the young lady who was raped and murdered by this uh... Lineman guy who's now let out of stillwater prison on good behavior and they were um, having her talk about this 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 really grotesque tragic thing and one of the things she said there was that she lost her faith because of that event and she asked the question Why would God let something like this happen? Or, in fact, what she said was, why would God do this? She stopped believing that there was a God who was all good and all loving because she couldn't make sense out of how... She said, I don't understand how this could ever fit into his plan. And you find that kind of talk a lot. You know, people... A kid gets killed uh, by a drunk driver, and people say, you know, well, God must have a plan. We go looking for some secret purpose in heaven for every atrocious thing that happens. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's deformity. There's all sorts of bloodshed. There's people being tortured. There's mass murdering going on in Rwanda. And people, a lot of times believers say things like, like uh, well, God must have a reason for it as though God were doing it. And unbelievers go, I reject that. As far as I'm concerned, that's, that's, uh, that's one good reason. The torture, the torment, the atrocities, the bloodshed, the nightmares that go on in the world is one good reason why I have for not believing that there's a kind of God that you're talking about up there. I'm going to be debating an atheist, Gordon Stein, uh, on April 7th at the University of Minnesota. And I don't know what he's going to say, but I do know he's going to say this. I'm sure he's going to say something to the effect of, The problem of evil rules out there possibly being a God. For how could God create a world in which there's so much pain, so much torture, and he might go through and catalog all all the terrible things about life and therefore conclude that there couldn't be a God. And I can't tell you how upset that makes me. How, How grieved I get when God gets blamed for the devil's work. Are you following me on this? We, 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 we get into this kind of a pious mode where we want to say that God is behind everything, including all the negative stuff in life. And it's true, of course, that God works to bring good out of the evil. In every situation, God's working to bring the better, working to bring whatever redemptive value he can bring to that situation. But to credit God with the atrocities of this world is, is, is abominable. God detests sin and God detests pain and God detests what destroys human beings and God detests what is sadistic and all the nightmarish and atrocious things in this life. That is what God hates. That is what God is against. That is what God is striving to to overcome in this world. And to think that he's got a plan for that is simply to credit God with the devil's work. And in a lot of ways it brings discredit. To, to a, a faith in God in the first place. You see, the anger. When a person's going through a nightmare, you know, they're going to shoot at everything that moves. So you let them shoot. They're going to get mad at God. They're going to get mad at everybody. Let that happen. But when the dust begins to settle, we've got to have a time when we ask the question, okay, who is at fault here? Who raped this little girl? It wasn't God. It was Lineman. And who killed this little girl? It wasn't God. It was Lineman. Give the responsi- responsibility to him. We also know this from Scripture, that behind all of the evil, behind all the evil decisions, behind all the evil wills, behind all the evil acts, there is an evil force, inspiring it, encouraging it, letting it happen, making it happen, and that is Satan. So get, ra- get mad, get rageful, get angry, get ticked off. It's appropriate to be that way. God gets ticked off sometimes. Christ got ticked off sometimes. It's okay for us, to get, for us to get ticked off sometimes, but direct, zero in like a laser beam, zero in, all that wrath, all that animosity, all that holy hatred and indignation, zero it in on the enemy of our souls, and that is Satan. Who you need most, who you need most when you're going through times like that is God. And yet we push him away sometimes because we blame him for it. We need to see, we talked last week, we need to have a holy animosity towards Satan. That's a godly thing. If you're inclined to any kind of mercy towards this it, this beast, this thing, this slime, if you're inclined towards mercy or compassion there, if if the book of Revelation sounds too tough for you, if that song we sang, uh, you know, with the Lord reigning, and a fire goes before him and he burns up all of enemies, if that sounds too mean and barbaric for you, it's because you haven't yet got a proper view of what we're talking about when we talk about Satan. Well, we're talking about a thing that makes Hitler look like a pussycat. We're talking about an it that is behind a thousand times more manifold the Stalins of, 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 of the world. And these are just little puny puppets compared to the sinister beast that we're talking about. A thing that delights in things that are so unthinkable and unmentionable. He laughs at that. That's what he lives for. The small degree of joy that he gets in his miserable, crusty existence is from the pain he can inflict. That's what we're talking about. And for this being, there is no difference between who he is and what he does. For human beings, there is a difference. So it's never appropriate to have that kind of animosity, redneck, go burn in hell mentality. But towards the devil, who is nothing but evil, without remainder, without redeeming quality, to have a redneck, go-to-hell attitude is perfectly appropriate. And a song like, A Fire Goes Before Him and He Burns Up All of His Enemies, if you hate the devil, that's, got to, that's like, burn him up. That, that should give you joy. But well, we don't have this kind of warfare mentality, and most Christians in our age don't, because the devil's kind of embarrassing to talk about or, or, or something or other, but when we don't have that warfare mentality, what happens? Is that our, our religion, our, our theology, our Christian walk turns into kind of just a, a way to be nice. It's a way to have good behavior, a way to, to, to uh, just add to the other nice things in your life. Church is good because it makes good citizens, and, and we raise good Boy Scouts that way. And it loses its bite, it loses its cutting edge. And it's not really the kind of Christianity that the Lord died to bring to the world because Christianity was to be anything but a religion, it was intended to be a warfare. And believers weren't always intended to be nice. We were intended to be soldiers. But unless there's that fuel, that holy animosity towards the enemy, our Christianity just becomes kind of a a placated, nice sort of thing, Uh, something else we do in the rest of our life. When the enemy isn't hated on our part, with an intensity that is second only to the intensity of the love that we have for God, we never really appreciate our salvation. The word salvation and the word redemption means to be rescued out of. If you don't see clearly the hell that you were headed for, and if you don't see clearly the pit that you were going to, and if you don't see clearly the bondage that you were under, and if you don't see clearly the evil of the one that held you in bondage, the good news can't be as full good news as it was was intended to be, because the good news is that you've been rescued from that. But the good news is only good when you have a clear perception of what the bad news was. And when we don't have this holy indignation towards the enemy, we we, we lose our burden for the loss because they don't seem that bad. It doesn't seem like they're in that bad of shape, they're that bad of trouble. Only when we understand, only when we understand that that the enemy has enslaved the, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 4, the enemy has enslaved the minds and the hearts of unbelievers. Only when we see that we're talking about people who are literally entrapped. They don't know they're entrapped because they're enslaved. But they're entrapped. Only then do you have the kind of burden that you have to win the loss, to reach out, to bring the... children. Unless you've got that, you really don't get in on what the Christian life is all about. Because fundamental to what the Christian life is all about is a mission that we've got. And the mission that, that, that we've got is about warfare. Many believers are out there and they don't know what the purpose for their life is. They wonder why when God saved them, he didn't just take them to heaven. What are we doing down here? Why are we just supposed to hold a job and raise kids and have a little bit of pleasure and have a little bit of pain and then, then die and go to heaven? Are we just taking up time? What are we supposed to be doing here? A lot of people don't know. Believers don't know. Well, I go to church and I have a job and, and then I'll die and then, then I'll be in heaven. But why are you down here right now? And see, the whole purpose for the whole thing, the way the Bible portrays it, and it has a lot of different facets, a lot of different angles. But what the whole thing is about, folks, is that the Lord has entrusted to his church, the Lord has entrusted to his church the power and the authority and the opportunity and the mission and the mandate to finish off the work that he began on the cross and when he descended into hell. The enemy is defeated. The enemy has been disarmed, but he wants his church, he calls his church, He lets his church be empowered to fight the enemy, to do warfare, to raise up against the one who formerly oppressed us. We now can oppress him to stand on the neck of the one who once stood on our neck. And he wants his church to look like him and to act like him and to be like him. In fact, to be his literal body here on earth, doing the things that he did. And this is where the gifts come in. This is where the gifts come in. This is why the Lord divided up the spoil. Paul uh, talks this way. He says Christ died on the cross, went down into the pit, plundered the enemy's goods, took from him the things that belonged to Christ and ascended up on high, and then he divided the the spoils. And the spoils, the, the booty, are the gifts. And the reason why the Lord divides the gifts is to empower the church to do what it's called to do, which is to do what Jesus did. There's a lot of different gifts that the Bible talks about, a lot, of different, uh, a lot of different lists of gifts in the Bible, and none of them are exhaustive. But they all relate in one way or another to the building up of the body of Christ, to the strengthening of the individual Christian, and to the pushing back of the kingdom of darkness. They all relate to that. Whether we're talking about the gift of hospitality or the gift of kindness or the gift of wisdom or the gift of mercy or the gift of compassion or the gift of giving or the gift of being a helper or the gift of being a prophet or a teacher or a, or a preacher or an evangelist, all those gifts, in their own individual distinct way, are about building up the body of Christ, strengthening the body of Christ, so it can then do what Jesus did, so it can mirror who Jesus is, so it can overthrow the enemy the same way Christ overthrew the enemy. And the gifts are all about that. The Lord wants us to not just be legally freed from captivity, the Lord wants us to, in fact, experience that freedom. He wants us to walk in the freedom that we have. He wants us to walk in the authority that we have over the enemy. So he took, Colossians 2.15 tells us, he took, when he died on the cross, he took the weapon away from, from Satan. He disarmed, the Bible says, he disarmed the enemy. He took away the weapon of the enemy, but he didn't destroy the enemy. The weapon that the enemy had, of course, was our sin when we voluntarily sell out to slavery to him, the Lord, in dying on the cross, and he got the devils to help him do this, praise God, the Lord, in dying on the cross, took upon himself all the sin, all the pain, all the damnation, all the destruction that all the sin in the world bore, and in doing that, he canceled out all sin. He broke every bond that we ever had that the devil had on us, which is why when he descended into hell, he could proclaim that truth and said, come on, guys, let's get out of this thing. He tied up the strong man. He plundered his house. He leads us in captivity. He leads us out of captivity and turns around and says, You know what, you guys? Now have some fun. I want you to continue it. Here's some gifts that can help you do the work that you're called to do. And that's the main point of this passage, the gifts. Now, there's two things I want you to see about these gifts, this spoil, the booty that Christ divided up. Two things, and they're very important. They both confront an attitude that is very prevalent in the church today, and that attitude is this: it's the idea that gifts ministries, roles to play in the church, those things are kind of secondary to the Christian walk. They're optional. They're they're, they're there if you want them, but but if you don't, that's fine. Two things I want you to notice about this passage. First of all, in verse 7, the first verse uh, that was printed there, Paul says, to each one, to each one, in the Greek it's literally to each one, grace, has been given as a free gift, as has been apportioned by Christ. Note there, to each one. In fact, in the Greek, it's in the intensive, which means it literally says to one, to everyone. We could almost translate it to capture the, uh, the emphasis. To each and everyone, a gift has been given. To each and everyone, a gift has been given. And it drives home this point. That in dividing the spoils, as the Lord from His ascended glory on high, having led captives in his train, the Lord now wants to spread out, to, to, to give the booty, the gifts, to all of his all of those who are in his train, all those that he has freed from the enemy, which is all of us. And he's he's intentional on making sure that each and every one of us gets one of the gifts. This flies directly in the face. Of, of what has been the traditional understanding of the church. And we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into it very much right now, except to say this. In the traditional understanding of the church, there are a few people in every congregation who are gifted. And those people are the called. Those people are the, the religious people. They got the REV before their name. They're the religious professionals. They're the ones who can talk the best. They're the ones who can minister the best. They pray the best. They go to the hospital. To, they, they do hospital visitation the best. And so their job is to do the Christian ministry, to do all the work, to get all the stuff done and to minister to all the people who are there. And the only job that the people who are there have is to financially support those people. So you get 98% of the church financially supporting, 2% of the church that's doing all the work. And the result is that you get a very impotent church who doesn't get a lot done and you get a church full of a lot of people who don't realize that they've got a gift. And they never walk the worthy walk They never walk in a way that manifests who they are in Christ because they never get an an opportunity to begin to use the gift that they have to each and every one. And the only qualification is that you're in the train of Christ. You're following Christ. You're in his parade. If you are a believer and you've been set free and you're walking behind Jesus and Jesus is up ahead of you, one thing I know about you, I may not know anything else about you, but I know that you have got a gift. I know that you've got a gift because the Bible says to each and every one he gave the gift. You've got, you have got a role to play and it's important. You've got a gift to give and it's important. You've got a service to render and it's important. You have a particular way of impacting people, of doing something for the body of Christ and it is important, it is vital. It's so important that the Lord went down to hell and defeated the enemy to give it to you. It's a vital role to play. In fact, I want you to know this. Now follow me on this, because this gets a little technical, but it's important. We've got to chew on this one, okay? Just get ready. We're going to chew on this verse for a second. Literally in the Greek, Paul says this, to, every, to each and every one, grace has been given as a free gift, apportioned by or measured by Christ. That's how it literally goes. He says measured by. He uses the Greek word metron there, which means to shape to, to, to give a portion, to to delineate something. Now what Paul is getting at here is this. Now follow me on this. Paul is saying that every person who believes, who says yes to the proclamation of Jesus Christ when he descended into hell, every person as a free gift gets grace. Everyone does. You, you get forgiveness, you get redeemed, you're made spotless, you're taken from the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of the light. All of that is true of you the minute you believe in the Lord. All of it. You're you're given free salvation. The life of Christ is within you, but the way the life of Christ is in you is different than the way the Christ, uh, life of Christ is in you and it's different than the way the life of Christ is in you and different than the way the life of Christ is in you because to each one, and this is the gift, to each one, it's been packaged a certain way. It's been measured a certain way. It's been apportioned a certain way. It's all free. It's all saving. It's all eternal, but it comes in a different package, which means this, The gift that you have is not different than your salvation. The gift that you have is the way your salvation is packaged to you. So if you begin to walk the worthy walk, which is what Paul's talking about in this whole passage, if you begin to walk the worthy walk, what gets manifested is that gift. What gets displayed is that gift. The life of Christ in you comes out as that gift. I am... I was saved for free. I was forgiven by God because of the cross, because of the blood, because of his descent into hell. I've been redeemed. I'm unaccusable. I get that as a free gift. But as I begin to walk in the reality of who I am, you know what happens? That starts to come out. And you know how it comes out? Well, for me, it comes out as sort of hyperactive preaching. And it it comes out as drumming. And it comes out as teaching. And it comes out in different ways. My preaching doesn't save me. Thank God for that. My preaching doesn't save me. My teaching doesn't save me. My drumming doesn't save me. God's grace alone saves me. But when I begin to walk in the life of Christ that I have, it comes out as preaching. And that's the gift. Preaching isn't an option for me. I'm one miserable dude when I'm not doing it. If I'm going to be me, it's what I got to do. It's what it is the life of Christ flowing through me. Ed here who led worship this morning, he's not saved by his singing. He's saved by God's grace. But the way that, that God's grace gets packaged for him is it comes down as a, as a ministry of worship and maybe a lot of other things too. So when Ed is just Ed, when Ed's walking in the full reality of who he is in Christ, you know what? He's got a gift and that gift is going to be displayed. There's no two ways about it. Barry Joss has got a gift of encouragement and a gift of helps. The guy is incredible. Sunday morning, he's, he's got his hands in everything. He's making everything happen. He's a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. And he's got a gift of encouragement. Encouragement and, and, and being a helper does not save Barry. God's grace, the blood of Jesus Christ alone saves Barry. But as Barry begins to walk in the truth of who, we are, who he is, as he begins to walk in the worthy walk, that comes out as encouragement, and it comes out as a helper. There's no option there. It's kind of like baptism. It's an, it's an outward sign of an inward work. So also, the gift that each of us has is the outward display of of the inward truth that we're saved by God's grace. But you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, and the way I'm a new creature is different than the way you're a new creature or somebody else is a new creature. The point I want us to get out of this is this. It's not the case. It is not the case that the ministries, the the vocations, the roles, the gifts are out here, and it's something that's sort of optional. You know, it's an ornament. Those people who get a little fanatical about things, you know, they like to get involved in that stuff. But me, I would just, you know, I kind of want to go... No, you are packaged in a certain way and the church needs that package. You are gifted in a certain way and the church needs that gift. Your free gift, your free grace comes to you with a certain kind of tag on it, with a certain kind of twist to it, apportioned by Christ, and the church desperately needs that. And there's no way you can ever walk the worthy walk that displays the truth of who you are unless you're plugged into the body of Christ and letting that gift shine. The idea of a lone ranger Christianity where you're out there just kind of floating around, just kind of me and Jesus, personal kind of thing, not tied into the body of Christ, not networked, not doing any kind of ministry. That I, when you do that, you are, you are walking in such a way that you are fundamentally denying at every turn the reality of who you are in Christ. Because who you are in Christ is not a lone ranger. Who you are in Christ is a person that's got a gift and the church needs it. But if you're not displaying that, Your Christianity is going to seem unreal to you. It's going to seem kind of phony to you. It's going to seem just like kind of theoretical. It won't have any life, won't have any power. Why? Because you're not walking as the Lord called you to walk. Everyone has a gift. But a second thing is even this, is this, and it's even it's even more to the point. Not only does everyone have a gift, but everyone is a gift. Paul in 1 Corinthians, or in Ephesians 4, verse 7. He talks about how when the Lord ascended on high, he gave gifts to all people. And that gift was grace that is apportioned a certain way. Okay, that's to the individual. He gave me salvation and he packaged it in a certain kind of way. But more than that, if you look at verse 11, look at verse 11 here. Paul says, and verse 11 picks up on verse 7. Verses 8, 9, and 10 are a digression where he talks about Christ's descent into into, into hell. But he picks up in verse 11 what he started in verse 7, and here he says, and God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists. Or in Greek it could be, He gave some as apostles. He gave some as prophets. He gave some as evangelists. And there you see the gift is the person who's got the gift given to the church. Are you following this? God called of the Apostle Paul. God saved the Apostle Paul. And he gave the Apostle Paul a gift, namely being an apostle. But having done that, the Lord turns to the church and says, I've got a gift for you. I give you Paul to be an apostle. What is the gift? The gift is Paul's apostolicity. It's the person of Paul. And so also it is with each one of us. This is why... Paul here portrays it as spoils, as booty. What did the Lord take when he went down into the dungeon and he stole the goods of the enemy? He ripped off the enemy. He plundered his house. He took some precious things with him. He led captives up on high, and then he gave gifts to men. What was it that he gave? The answer, ladies and gentlemen, is you and me. He poured his grace into each one of us. And then he turned to the church and he gives us back to one another as a gift. Think of it this way. When the Lord Lord, uh, uh, descended into hell, one of the trophies he found there, one of the things that he ripped the devil off of was, was, just to take an example, it was Norm. He went down there and he found Norm, captive, Norm a captive, Norman in bondage, Norman in sin. So he paid the price for the whole thing, proclaimed it out loud to the devil, ripped Norm out of that kingdom, brought him up on high, gave him the gift of salvation, and he packaged it a certain way. He packaged it so that when Norm walks the worthy walk, it gets displayed as, as, as worship leading. And then the Lord takes this Norm, this new vessel, this rescued captive, and he turns to the body of Christ and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you a gift. The gift is Norm. Norm is a gift. And you are a gift, and I am a gift. Steve is a gift. The Lord went down into hell, paid the price for Steve's sin, went down there, delivered him from bondage, took him up to heaven, took him up and seated him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, poured his grace into him for free, and he packaged it a certain way. It looks like a package of administration. It looks like a package of encouragement. It looks like a package of motivation. And then he turns to the church, the body of Christ. And this is the gift that Paul's talking about, and the Lord says, "I got a gift for you guys. I got a real surprise. I present to you, Steve." Lord goes down into hell, dies on the cross, goes down into hell, looks around, looks at all the spoils, looks at all the booty. Everyone that says yes to him is now belongs to him. So he finds there, take a, a Karen and Jim Hill, and 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 he, he, he takes them out, out, out of uh, the pit. The devil's going rats. Oh God, I miss. I love that one. Oh no, shoot! Die. There's not a thing he can do about it because the things all been paid for. And the Lord takes him and pours his grace into him, pours his life into him, and he packages it a certain way, and it looks like hospitality. And it looks like having a ministry with kids. And then the Lord takes Jim and Karen Hill and says, By my bride, my body, I give to you. For the purpose of doing what I did, I give you a gift that's going to help you do what I did. The gift is Jim and Karen Hill. And I don't know about you, but it blows my mind to think about myself as a gift. We are each a gift. We're a gift to each other. We are the spoils that the Lord took out of the pit. We were destined for eternity to be lost from God. He took us from there. He put us in Christ Jesus. He made us spotless. And now he gives us each other as a gift. We've all got a role to play. It blows my mind when I think about myself as a gift. Because I never thought about myself that way. It's not one of the gems that I got growing up. I saw myself as being a real... Pain in the Cossacks of uh, being—I uh, saw myself as being a uh, you know a, a, tr- a tr- troublemaker, but a gift. I'm a gift. I'm a gift. And the Bible says I am. The picture I got the other night praying about this was that it, it's like and just just let me be graphic here. The Lord, the Lord descends into the pit, and one of the things he finds there is this like piece of dung on the ground. Okay. <laughs> A uh, piece of manure. And, and, and he scrapes up this piece of manure in, in, the, in the pit of hell that the enemy was just trampling on and laughing at. And he says, oh, I can do something with this. And so he shapes it. He begins to shape it. He begins to cleanse it. He begins to forgive it. He pours his life into it. And he says, out of this one, I want to make a diamond. He says, oh, I got a gift for the church. He pours his life into me, and It shines. And so he says, he turns to the church and says, I got a gift for you. Here's a gift. Let it shine. Let it shine. Just don't try to do anything. Don't try to be a, a ruby. Don't try to be an emerald. Just be the diamond that I made you to be. Shine. And what it does for me, what it does for me is it makes me want to say, Lord, seeing what you did, let me shine. Let me shine. I want to shine. I want to be spent. I want you to use me. I never thought of myself that way before, but if that's the way you want to do it, let me shine, Lord God. Let your life flow through me. Let it come out in the way that you apportioned it, the way that you designed it. You can make a diamond out of a piece of manure. That's great. I love to be that. Let me shine. And he gives me to the church. He lets me impact people, and he does just the same thing with each one of us if we let him. You are a precious gift, a precious gift, a treasure that was rescued from hell. That's what you are, and the Lord wants to give you to the church. What this does, folks, and, and, and get this, this confronts as head-on as could, could be confronted, A I think, the major stronghold in American evangelicalism today. The stronghold is this. We live in a consumer society, and so a lot of people develop a consumer mentality about the church. They think that they're the customer and the church is the store. And the job is to go to church and, and you give a little offering because you're supposed to buy things. A lot of people think that they're buying something when they give an offering. It's, it's a wild conception, but it's very American. And, and then, then the preacher and the music and the children's minister or whatever, they're supposed to give you a product. And the product is their nice little songs and their nice little sermons and their nice little whatever else they got going for it. And you buy that. And when you're not no longer happy with that, you, you prance over to the, to, to the Kmart church and you, and you buy your goods there. And then you prance over to the uh, Walmart church and the Dayton's church or whatever it is, the Cadillac church, I don't know what. And you buy a product there, a consumer. You see yourself as a consumer. I've got a right to be treated, da-da-da-da-da-da. And you buy a product and you never get plugged in. And everything, everything, everything about this passage is saying the exact opposite of what I just told you. Because what this passage is saying is this. We are called not to be the consumer. We are called to be the consumed. We are called not to be the one who buys the products. We are called to be the products that God gives to others. And here's something I promise you. If you operate with a consumer mentality and float around from supermarket to supermarket, always trying to get your needs met, I guarantee you that you will be forever hungry. You'll be forever empty. You'll be forever wondering why you don't feel the joy and the power and the love. And the enemy will keep on saying, well, as soon as you get healthy, as soon as you get full, as soon as you get okay, then you can get involved in some people's lives. But in the meantime, why don't you try this supermarket over there and try this retail store over there and keep shuffling you around. You'll never get your needs met. And the reason is this, because you weren't made to be a consumer. That's not who you are. You're walking in fundamental contradiction to who you are. When the Lord poured His grace into your life, He didn't make you empty. He made you full, and He packaged it a certain way. And fullness will come to you. Joy will come to you. Empowerment will come to you. Healing will come to you when you start walking the way the Lord wired you to walk. And that wasn't to be a consumer. It's to be the consumed. Get plugged into people's lives. Just be who you are. You know, people spend years trying to read this book that book take this course that course trying to find out what their gift is and they don't do a thing till they find out what their gift is if you get plugged into people's lives develop a passion for the church get involved in one of the ministries that's in that's in the bulletin however big however little get involved in a small group start reaching out to people in the vestibule here start seeing them as a gift and start being a gift to them if you just be yourself you know what your gift is going to come you're going to start blessing people because you were saved to bless people You're saved for your sake. Your Salvation's for you. But the way Christ packaged it is for everybody else. I encourage you you to let yourself be the gift that God called you to be. But it means getting out of this American idea of me and Jesus, personal little island thing floating on out there, and begin to get tapped into people's lives. Begin to make a difference in people's lives just by being you. Some of you, like me, have trouble believing that. I can't be a gift, I'm just a consumer, I'm, just, I'm needy, I'm always the needed, uh, needy, I'm not the needed, I just want you to tag that right now, however it feels to you, tag that, this lie that says that you're not a gift, that you're not precious, that you're not special, that no one can ever benefit by knowing you, and there are people right this moment that are thinking that, if you're honest with yourself, tag that as a lie out of the pit of hell, tag it as that. And hear the truth of God that's telling you right now you are a precious, precious gift. You've got a place, a role in the kingdom. You've got a vital role, and the church needs you. Peg-top, as Peg Top comes, they're going to close with a, with a, with a song. Uh, I, I want to pray this prayer. Father, Father, I can't even begin to, to get the full picture of what it looks like for me for you to have done to me what, what you did for me. You scra- scraped me off the ground and you made me into a diamond. And I keep on just being surprised at that. And I want to be surprised at that. But Lord, I pray that the people here, Lord, for those who have a bunch of lies on their head and in their memories, polluting their system, telling them that they can, that they have nothing to offer, nothing to give, that they're just ordinary, they're just spectators, they're just... On the periphery. God, I pray in Jesus' name you'd break those strongholds and with all your power and all your glory and all your might, shout into their ears, Lord God. You are precious. You are a gift. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, the church, this precious gift. And and, and let the Lord shine the way he's made you to shine and glow the way he's made you to glow and let the rest of us see the beauty of what Christ has made you to be. Lord God, move us, move us, Lord God, into a position where our gifts can shine. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are a gift. Know it. You know it. Hallelujah. You are a gift. Praise God.